Well, good morning, church. Great to be with you this morning, and happy Labor Day weekend to everybody. Uh, my name is DJ. I'm the associate minister here at the summit. Thanks again for joining us uh, on this. Bless you back there. That was incredibly violent. <laughs> uh, so thankful for you guys to join us here on this holiday, dreary holiday weekend, but uh, nonetheless, I'm super excited. If you're new with us this morning, you've come at kind of a, an interesting transition time. We just finished a series last Sunday. We spent the summer uh, talking to the, through the fruit of the Spirit in a series called Fruition. And then next week, I'm super, 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 super um, excited about where we're heading. We're about to start a series in the Gospel of Mark that's going to take us about a year and a half um, to complete. And now let me pause right there because some of you heard that and you're like, well, I don't know about that, right? But let me tell you real quickly because when Brian and I sat down to, to kind of plan the preaching calendar and, and you know, we were talking about this and I was like, man, that's a long time. Um, but I've kind of been processing through this, and let me just give you three quick reasons why I'm incredibly excited for this series that we're about to start. We're entering um, a season. Our mission here at the Summit is to be a family of grace, believing and becoming the gospel. And we're entering a season where we really want to focus on that last aspect of our mission about becoming the gospel. And there are countless ways that we can encourage and motivate each other uh, towards kingdom work and towards being the light of Jesus in our community. But one of the best ways, if not, I'll change that, the best way to do that is to truly center our hearts and minds on Jesus and who he is and to become motivated by the type of work, the type of ministry, the type of character that he exhibited while he was here on earth. And so for us, when we talk about becoming the gospel, that's what we're talking about, about centering our lives on the person and work of Jesus. And, and the way that Mark does that is incredibly profound and powerful. And so I think we can get a lot from that. The second reason is I believe that there is value in taking a lengthier time uh, than we normally do to slowly walk through different parts of Scripture. We live in a very fast-paced world, right? We live in a world that um, as much as we like comfort, there are things that we don't want to be comfortable, right? Like, like technology is a great example. Would you still be comfortable for the, for the very first iPhone, right? No, some of you may have flip phones, and I'm wondering how you're comfortable with that, right? But, but it's the same is true for us when it comes to Scripture. So many times when we preach through different things, we just are ready to get to the next thing, right? We're tired of seeing that sermon graphic. We're tired of, you know, hearing that verse or whatever it is. But there is incredible value when we take a break from our very fast pace, keep everything fresh kind of culture, and really dig into just one part of Scripture to see how even in that one part, there are countless truths and applications from God's Word. And then finally, the third reason, and this is the thing that really has been challenging me, is we're going to challenge each other over the next year and a half to really encounter what we call the real Jesus. The real Jesus. I've been reflecting on this for a while, and, and when we hear the name of Jesus, there's a picture that immediately starts to form in your mind. 
there's characteristics, there's beliefs, there's thoughts that start to culminate and form this picture of who you believe that Jesus is. And, and in a lot of ways, that picture has been built uh, due to different circumstances, due to uh, experiences that you've had, other teachings that you've had. And, and while I'm not saying that any of those are bad, the question is how often do you take that picture and compare it to the real Jesus of the gospel? To put those two side by side and look at, man, is the Jesus that I have in my mind, the one that I'm following, is that the actual Jesus of the gospel? And so that's what we want to do over this next year and a half is really invite surrender into our lives to say, okay, Jesus, show me who you really are. Show me the real character and person and work that you came and accomplished. And so I'm extremely excited to start this journey that's going to take us a year and a half. And I hope that you are excited um, as well, because as we begin to process this and plan this and, and share it, we've already begun to see God's workings through it. And so I'm incredibly excited to see where that takes us. But this morning, we're going to go a little bit of a different route. So let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Awesome God, what we know not, teach us what we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You can also follow along on your phone at the summitstl.info. My question to you this morning is this. Do you remember your first job? You remember your very first job. I remember mine quite vividly. I uh, was hired at a grocery store, Hy-Vee grocery store, when I was 13. I was a bag boy. And uh, I bagged groceries for $4.15 an hour. I know, right? Uh, that was a lot. And I remember thinking, as a 13-year-old boy, that I was going to be a big shot in the grocery business. <laughs> So uh, I don't know if they still do this at Hy-Vee. I'm, I'm curious, but, but we had to wear, wear the, the guys had to wear ties. And so I learned to tie a tie at a, at a very early age. And there was something about putting on a tie and walking into work that was like, guys, y'all are going to work for me soon. <laughs> and I was determined at 13 years old, making $4.15 an hour, working eight hours a week, that I one day was going to run my own grocery store. And so I worked my way up at Hy-Vee. I bagged groceries for a while. Then when I was 16, I was allowed to become a cashier. And so I was a cashier for a while. When I was 17, I got the coveted spot of being a stalker. And the stalker's where you wanted to be because the stalker didn't have to deal with people. Right? You didn't have to wear the tie. You could wear your street clothes. You could listen to your music. You just had to get the stuff on the shelves. I then went off to college. When I went off to college, I was like, mm, I was really questioning some of my life goals. <laughs> I don't appreciate the laughter in that moment. <laughs> but I decided, you know what? Even though the name Pittman would look great on a grocery store, I don't know that I want to be in the grocery store business anymore. 
So I went off to college, I got a job with Toys R Us. <laughs> and I had the thought that one day, I'm going to be a big wig at Toys R Us. We all know how that played out. And so I did my stint at Toys R Us uh, halfway through college, and then my junior year of college, I became what's called an RA, or a resident assistant, in my dorm room. And here's what that meant. It meant that they let me, they let me, 20, 19, 20-year-old 20 DJ, be in charge of about 45 guys in a dorm room. The perk was you got your own room, which was a beautiful thing. And I had this thought. The grocery business didn't quite pan out. The toy business didn't quite pan out, but our dorm had a resident director, and that resident director got to live in the apartment that was attached to the dorm, and I thought, that's my future. <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to graduate with a degree in resident directing, right? And then I realized, you know what, maybe that's not quite for me either. Had many jobs even in between there. I worked uh, as an insurance coordinator at a dentist's office. I worked for two weeks doing concrete work in the Missouri summer. I do not recommend that job at all. My wife always tells me I can't even count that as a job, but I do. I've emceed school dances. I've run trivia nights. I worked for years in student ministry. Now I work as an associate minister here at the summit. And the reason that I tell you all this is because I think somewhere along the way I realized that I was making a pretty big error in my thought process. That even though all of those brought great experiences, for the most part they were great jobs, I think for a long time, I tried to define those as my calling, as what I was made for. Now, let me just lay all my cards on the table this morning. Typically, when people speak of their calling, right, they speak of their job, their vocational calling, what theologians would call your, your technical calling. I was called to be a doctor, I was called to be a teacher, I was called to be a pastor, whatever that looks like. And, and sometimes in Scripture we see that, but more often than not, when Scripture speaks of our calling, it's usually in reference to our faith, of what we believe. And the problem begins when we start to blur the lines between the two. When we start treat our job as our main calling. Because what happens then when we become dissatisfied in our job? How do we navigate that? What happens if our performance doesn't meet the expectations in our job? How do we navigate that? What happens if you're currently unemployed? How do you navigate that? And I think the, the thought that I want to help us all flesh out this morning is this, that if we do not have a proper biblical understanding of both work and calling, hear this, our worth becomes dependent on our work instead of being informed by our calling. So we're going to unpack what that means 
this morning. I think 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is a great chapter to go to when we're having this conversation. The, the whole chapter is interesting. Paul starts and he begins talking about this idea of, of marriage, specifically with uh, this church in Corinth, because these were fairly recent converts. And what happened is as the message of the gospel reached the ears of the people who lived in Corinth, some of them, a lot of them, converted to Christianity, they began to follow Jesus. And what that set up now was this interesting marriage dynamic where you had a lot of people who were in marriages where one spouse was a believer and one wasn't. And they're wondering what to do. How do we navigate this? And, and some of them were even debating on if divorce was the right way forward for them. And so Paul writes them, he says, no, 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 to stay married. But he gives this big principle here that I think applies to even more beyond just marriage. And he says this, it's kind of buried in the middle of chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17 says this, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. And in fact, for Paul, this principle that he's laying out, this idea is so important that he then repeats it two more times throughout this chapter. In verse 20, he says this, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. He starts talking after this, he starts talking about circumcision, which we'll get to in just a second. And he, he goes back to that principle in verse 20. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. And then again in verse 24, So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. And so there's a big principle, there's a big picture of what Paul's laying out here. And very simply, what I want to do in our time together this morning is I want to help us answer this question. What then is he saying should be the relationship between our work, our vocation, our assignment, and our calling as a Christ follower? How do those two interact together? Well, very simply, let's start here. Your calling is unchanging. Your calling is unchanging. Let's define our terms for just a second. Let me define what I mean by calling. Our calling, very simply stated, is this, to be in a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus. That's a very simple way to say it. This is, this is what we would call our effectual calling, right? That God has, has called people to himself, and when we hear that call, when we respond, when we surrender our lives, when we accept faith in Jesus, we have been called into a relationship with the Father because of the Son. This is our calling. We all have dreams about what we want to do in life. We all have goals that we try to achieve. I am a goal-oriented person. Anybody else goal, like, like write down goals? Yeah, me and two other people over here? That's awesome. The rest of you should try it sometime, right? Every month I sit down and I write out, okay, what are my goals for this month? And truth be told, more often than not, I go back to that month and I realize, well, didn't hit most of them, right? What happens then in my mind if my goals become what I was created for? 
when I hit those moments where I realized that, man, I didn't quite measure up to the goal that I wrote down, that starts to impact my worth. That starts to impact how I think of myself, how much I value myself and what I'm doing. And I can very easily sit in failure and shame. And that's a really toxic place to be. What Paul's talking about here is he says, no, there's a difference between your calling and what he says is your assignment. Your calling is bigger than that. And your calling includes a lot more than that. Your calling includes your job. It includes the goals that you set for yourself. It includes uh, how you live within your family, how you parent your kids, how you interact with your spouse, how you treat your friends. All of that is part of it. Your job is one aspect of the calling that God has given you. And so you may dream about traveling the world. It may be a passion of yours, but it's not what you were created for. You may love math. God bless you. But it's not what you were created for. You may be a great athlete, a great musician. You may be a great cook. All of those passions that we should pursue, those are divinely given. I believe that God created those within us. But our calling remains un changed. In the most basic sense, our calling is to follow Jesus. I was having a conversation with a good friend a couple of weeks ago, and we were kind of talking about this, and he said, and this is kind of what started some of the thoughts in my mind, but he said, you know what? Sometimes I just don't think I love Jesus as much as I say I do. Now sit on that for just a second. Because I think when we really wrestle with that question of do we love Jesus as much as we say we do, as much as we hope that we do, I think what's eventually going to reveal itself in our lives is that we've made following Jesus a component of our life, but it's not the overarching calling of our life. Our calling remains unchanged. I love how Paul says it in another, another letter in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner, look at this phrase, worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then you should naturally ask the question as you read that, okay, Paul, what does that look like? How do we do that? Well, thankfully, he answers that in the next four verses. Verses 2 through 6, he says, Here's how you walk in a manner worthy of the calling, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, and in all. Did you notice there's nothing in there about your job performance? There's nothing in there about how great you are at working your way up the ladder in any corporation? Paul says, no, you want to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, then here's how you do it. 
You act like Jesus in everything that you do. You're a humble business person. You're a gentle, compassionate nurse. You're a patient real estate associate. You're a parent who bears with your children in love. You strive in all things with all people to pursue the unity of the Spirit because you remember that you were called by one God, one Lord. We just spent several weeks talking about what that looks like. And my question to you is a little bit follow-up from that series is how has that transformed your life? Because if there's one thing that I don't want you to take away from this, it's to go out there and just do this better. But it's to now go and keep fervently praying, Spirit, transform me from the inside out. Because everything natural within me goes against the manner that's worthy of my calling. It's not natural to be patient, to be gentle, to be humble, to strive for unity. It takes a radical transformation by the Holy Spirit. Which is why I would say our second aspect of that then is this, that when we accept that our calling is unchanging, our calling is to follow Jesus, to continue to strive to be more like Jesus through the transformation of the Holy Spirit, then our calling then informs our work. Our calling informs our work. There's a New York Times article that uh, I read a couple weeks ago by a guy named Benjamin Nugent. He's a, a very distinguished writer, uh, very well-respected, has a lot of awards, a lot of degrees, good with words, that kind of thing. And he decided, he hit kind of a slump at one point in his career. This is how he describes it. He hit kind of a slump, and he just, he, he wanted to, to get better at writing, he wanted to get back to the level of writing that he felt like he was at. And so he left everything, and he went to the desert. Now, I don't know who does that, but apparently writers do. He left everything, he left his family, his kids, and he said, I'm going to go to the desert. Just thinking about that, if I told my wife and my kids, hey guys, I want to be a great minister, so I'm going to go to the desert for a couple months, and then I'll be back, right? I mean, it's this radical change that we don't even understand, but he left everything, he went to the desert, and he said, I'm just going to write. All I'm going to do from when I wake up to when I go to sleep is I'm going to write. He talks then in hindsight about how this was the worst decision he ever made. And that's when people like me could have been like, bro, I could have told you that, right? But he talks about, hey, this was terrible for my career because when everything that he uh, did and thought about was his career, here's what he says. He says this, when good writing was my only goal, look at this phrase, I made the quality of my work the measure of my worth. Think about that for a second. How many of you have come in here this morning and how worthy you feel is based about how, on how well you performed this past week? Whether in your job, whether as a parent, whether as a spouse, whether as just a person in general. And that can go both ways, right? You can have moments where you come in and be like, man, it, it, this was just not a good week, and because of that, I, I, I don't feel like I'm 
successful, good, valuable, yada, yada. It can go the other way too, right? I'm awesome. There is nobody better than me at what I do. I'm the best worker. I'm the best father. I'm the best husband. I guarantee you there are people around you that would say otherwise. But this is what happens in our mindset when we make our work, everything that we do, when we attach our value and our identity to what we do day to day, this is what happens. We make the quality of how we perform inform how valuable we feel. And that is completely contrary to what the gospel says. Go back to our main text in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul says this in verse 18. This is where he starts talking about circumcision now. And he says, Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. And there's a lot we could do with this verse. But Paul is applying this same principle to the concept of circumcision, that you have this community of Jews and Gentiles, and they're wondering, okay, if I accept God's call, what does that mean? Do I have to now become circumcised, or do I have to now reverse circumcision, or whatever that looks like? And Paul says, no, listen. If you're a Gentile who hears the call of Jesus, you don't need to try to become a Jew. If you're a Jew who hears the call of Jesus, you don't need to try to become a Gentile. And he gives the theological reasoning behind this in verse 19 when he says, hey, listen, circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. Look at what he says. What counts? What's valuable? What should we strive for? But keeping the commandments of God. Think about that. Are keeping the commandments of God, walking in the Spirit, following Jesus, diving into who He is, letting that inform who you are and how you respond and how you work and how you act, is that the thing, the only thing that you hold in value? Because Paul says everything else is nothing. We live in a culture that says climbing the ladder is everything. Being successful in your job is everything. Being a good parent or a good spouse is everything. Being the best athlete, musician, doctor, nurse, realtor, banker, bus driver is everything. And Paul says, no, it's nothing. It means nothing. He says keeping God's commandments Following Jesus, keeping your heart centered, keeping your eyes fixed on the person, character, and work of Jesus, that's everything. Because what happens when we do that is everything else falls into its rightful place. Being a follower of Jesus isn't just a component of who we are. It is who we are. And everything else is then informed by that. The point is this this morning. You and I were called to be in a relationship with the Father through faith in the Son. That is our calling. 
And when we listen and accept and surrender to that call, we are then given a new set of radical Christ-centered principles. As we read just a little bit ago, the old is gone, it's dead. The new has come. Our identity is now determined by the work of another. Our value is now fixed to the work of another. Some of us live our lives so stressed out because we attach everything of who we are to what we do. And Jesus says, no, that's how I give you rest. Because now you attach who you are to what I've already done. Whether you have a good or bad performance at work, whether you have a good or bad interaction with your kids, whether you have a good or bad interaction with your spouse, whether you succeed in being patient or not, you have been called to attach yourself to another. And that's Jesus. I'll end with this. I came across this quote from Aristotle. He, he says this, and I think this perfectly sums up the culture that we live in. He says, we work to have leisure on which our happiness depends. Think about that for a second. We work to have leisure. In essence, we work for ourselves to be comfortable. We work so that we can do the things that we want to do. And even more than that, that's what fuels our happiness. Now, is Paul giving us a command to not work? No, absolutely not. God has given all of us assignments. But do we do them to have leisure? No. Do we do them to make money so that we can retire and do the things that we want to do? No. Is that bad? No. But the reason that we work and the assignment that we're in, no matter where that is, is so that we can be the light of Jesus. So that we can show the message of the gospel. So that in the world that is consumed by how valuable you are based on what you do, we bring a radically different approach. And we say, no, our value is attached to something that is unchanging, something way greater than anything we do here could ever be. So we celebrate Labor Day weekend by not working. We work so that we can go on vacation. We spend most of our lives working so that we can retire. But hear this difference, and this is my challenge to all of us this morning, to understand that our calling is to follow Jesus, to walk by the Spirit, to obey and keep the commandments that God has given us, to attach ourselves the person and work of Christ, to willingly surrender to the transformation of the Spirit. And so practically speaking, what would it look like if you offered up everything that you did 
Not just here for an hour and a half on Sunday, but everything you did every day. What would happen if you offered all of that up as worship to the Father? The one to whom our identity, our worth, our calling is fixed upon. Let's pray. God, we thank you for, God, for the message that Jesus gave when he said that in him we find rest, in him we find peace, in him we find healing. And God, I just confess even now, God, that there is a majority of my life, God, where I try to find rest and peace in so many other places. But God, I pray that you would help all of us to hold the work that you've called us to do, the assignment that you've placed us in, to hold it in its rightful position. to understand that we're there, God, not to make a name for ourselves, not to fulfill our desire for comfort, but, God, to make your name great, to show your compassion, to show your patience, to show your understanding. God, to live out the calling that you've placed on all of us to make your name great among the nations. In Jesus' name, amen.